physicians and scientists. And so I ask him a basic question. What do you know about the safety of 5G? What do you mean? Well, I'm asking a basic question. Do you feel that 5G is safe? Of course it's safe. Why? Why do you say that? We were told that DDT was safe, saccharin was safe, cyclamates were safe, Asian orange was safe, fluoride was safe, right? depleted uranium was safe, the uranium in the trailings in the mines that the Navajo Indians used to mine were safe. None of that was true. And hundreds of other items have gotten FDA approval that were later withdrawn, sometimes 20 and 30 years after we've been in common use. So show me again the proof that cell phones are safe. I said, you're a scientist, you're a physician, you're a nurse, you have the skills, you can do the homework you'll understand how to read a scientific study. The average person wouldn't. They wouldn't know where to go to look. They would know to go to the library of medicine, PubMed, look under safety studies. And how many of those studies that do exist are independent and not sponsored, like Big Pharma sponsors studies. They control the study. If they have 100 studies and 99 are show negative outcome, this drug doesn't work or is dangerous, but one drug shows a slightly efficacious benefit, then that's the only one that they'll publish and promote. You won't know about all the others, proprietary interests protecting their patent. So we're never told the truth about anything. And yet everything that is promoted to us, the assumption is it's true, that it's safe. Precautionary principle, first do no harm. Now imagine who would be really susceptible children, infants, and now toddlers two years old have their own little laptops and they can select things they want. And by the age of four, they get their cell phones. And that's putting it right up against the head. There was a study done in Great Britain. This is a mainstream study done by a major, I think it's Panorama Television. And it was simple. They simply went into a school, a regular school, public school, 
and all the schools had computers. So they then had an expert have an electromagnetic frequency meter that shows safe and unsafe. And every single one of those chairs, let's say I'm here and uh, I'm about uh, four feet from the camera, about two feet from the microphone here. And every single one of those desks where the child was sitting and the computer was, let's say maybe 18 to 24 inches, unsafe. So that, that was really a wake up. So then they did something else. They started to go backwards. And against the back wall, it's still unsafe. They went out of the building and across the street, still unsafe. They had to go to the middle of a field before the meter showed safe. That meant that every single school kid that does not yet have a fully developed skull, and especially the younger ones, they were being exposed to toxic, dangerous levels of electromagnetic frequency. And that can alter your chromosomes, it can alter your DNA, it can cause massive inflammation. It's led to all forms of cancers, cancer of the brain, cancer of the ears and the jaw and the throat. Yeah, and wherever you put it. Think of all the people that wear, that have their cell phones on and put it, the women put it around their neck or in a pocket. Then you start seeing an increase in breast cancers, lung cancers. So then, after looking carefully at the scientific literature, all of it, taking thousands and thousands of hours to do this, we found there were more than 10,000, let me repeat that, more than 10,000 independent studies published in peer-reviewed journals showing the toxic effects of all of the different ranges of, of five, one, one through five G. And now they're wanting G6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And it's not because what they told you, they want you to be able to get you know, to a movie on the internet or get a connection quicker. That's irrelevant. This is all about connecting you to everything electronic in smart cities, smart cars, smart uh, televisions, smart refrigerators that will actually recognize you when you come into the kitchen. It'll be able to say, good morning, John, and how are you feeling today? And you say, fine. Well, John, here's what you should be eating today or drinking today. And John said, but I, I want some bacon and eggs, a toast, coffee. No, John, you can't have that. First of all, because the bacon coming from pork, coming from pigs, well, that issues a lot of methane, and that's creating a carbon footprint. And if you want to keep your social score in good standing, can't eat that. I'll go ahead and do it anyhow. So you go to the store to buy. Now, before you go in the store, you realize, I don't need cash. I don't need a credit card. I'm just going to go in, see what I like, put it in a bag, and walk out. And indeed, that's going on right now. These stores exist. But when you go up to a refrigerator, you'll see that you can't just open a the refrigerator. There's a camera that's identifying you. And uh, based upon what it will now determine, if you're overweight, there are certain things that's not going to allow you to eat. Now, some people say, that's a good thing. You know, someone's preventing someone who's lacking the discipline uh, to have that discipline by reminding them that's not healthy for you. 
And other people say, hold on a second, that destroys my freedom of choice. If I want to be unhealthy, that's my right to be unhealthy. I don't know where you stand on that, but it's like free speech. I may not like what you're saying, I might find it offensive, but the moment I say, I find your talk offensive, I find your speech offensive, that means no one else should have the right to say that. So you start banning different types of free speech, and you have to say, where does this end? So you see where this can go. And that's the real reason for 5G and beyond, to monitor everything, to connect everything to the Internet of all things, and then connect it to your body. And that's what they intend to do. That's why I'm doing this program. I gave you an extended introduction because my guest is going to do all the rest of the talking. And she is Dr. Deborah Davis. She is a medical doctor, a scientist, and probably America's leading authority on the negative impact on our health to animals, to the environment, and humans of electromagnetic frequencies. Now to our guest, Dr. Devra, D-E-V-R-A Davis. She's a highly distinguished medical researcher. She's an epidemiologist, a toxicologist, and uh, an epidemiologist. She's also a health activist. She served as an advisor on chemical safety for the Department of Health and Human Services, the CDC, the United Nations, European Environmental Agency, the World Health Organization, and other national and international bodies. She is the founder and president of Environmental Health Trust, the world's only nonprofit that conducts high-level scientific independent research on environmental health hazards while communicating the results to governments and local communities and educators. She holds degrees from the University of Pittsburgh, where she later founded the University Center for Environmental Oncology and received her doctorate from the University of Chicago and an additional health degree uh, in public health from Johns Hopkins. She has taught at Hebrew University Medical School. She's taught around the world. She's taught in, um, in Turkey at the Mayus Medical School. She's taught at Mount Sinai, Oberlin, and Carnegie Mellon Universities. She's published a remarkable 200 scientific papers and is the author of several important books, including The Secret History of the War on Cancer. And her popular book, Disconnect, The Truth About Cell Phone Radiation, will be released as a new updated edition. The Environmental Health Trust website is ehtrust.org, which has a very concise library of fact sheets, protective suggestions, and scientific papers about 5G and the dangers of EMFs. Nice to have you with us again. And nice to be with you again, Dr. Noll. There is a lot going on in the field of wireless technology, but what is not being discussed, at least I'm not aware of it's being discussed, in the popular media or in the major scientific institutions like the CDC, the FDA, are the potential dangers or known dangers to children. In all of its form, we didn't have any discussions on 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5G when it came to are these really safe? In fact, virtually all the media, and particularly the New York Times, said, of course they're safe. In fact, even to suggest otherwise, to suggest that 5G could cause a whole new form of environmental uh, injury was considered just nonsense. But that's only nonsense if you choose to be biased, if you choose 
to comport your views with those of the pro-scientific establishment connected with an outcome, meaning they have, they have a financial interest in slanting everything to their advantage. But we have over one, well, let's just put actively in public health, about 950,000 more or less physicians. We have millions of nurses and scientists. So it's not like we don't have a brain trust capable of reading a scientific paper. We do. But then they'll give the excuse, well, I just don't have time. My practice is so busy. And that is probably true for many practitioners. So I'm not condemning them for not having the latest information. But I am challenging them. If you have all these resources, you have a high level intellect, you're very disciplined, you've got your medical degree or PhD or both, and you're in the field, or your government agencies, you have unlimited resources. You have unlimited staff that can conduct research. And if you're there to serve the public health interests like the CDC, the FDA, and all the other agencies, the National Cancer Institute, all under the umbrella of the U.S. Public Health Services, then why is it you haven't had a single press conference, not one, discussing the dangers of any of these different forms of electromagnetic frequency studies? So you can say, well, there are no studies. Oh, yeah, there are. There are thousands of studies in peer-reviewed journals, on PubMed, in the library of medicine. I just did what might be one of the more definitive papers. It's not written for the lay public. It was written for practitioners, scientists, and journalists on the dangers and the interconnections that we hadn't brought all together these pieces before. That said, I'm going to turn all this over to you because you have a far more in-depth knowledge than any of us. And even though we've written 17 papers on 5G, 4G, 3 and 2 and 1G and on Wi-Fi, but you are in that belly of the beast fighting on our behalf, and that is important. You've also come forward where you could risk your career and your funding, and still you've come forward. So even though you're not an official whistleblower, you're what whistleblowers uh, attempt to do. Know the truth and speak it. So I'm going to turn the forum over to you now. Tell us what you know about 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5G. And now we're looking at 6, 7, 8, and 9G. We're looking at Wi-Fi in every airplane. Go into any airplane, and right there you got Wi-Fi. We have Wi-Fi in every school, grade school and high school, college. And you'll probably uh, remember this particular documentary that was done by one of Britain's leading and orthodox documentarians and uh, Panorama, or one of those. And it showed a child sitting at a desk with a computer. And it measured the Wi-Fi radiation that would be hitting this child. And they had to go out the school, into the parking lot, into a field before it was considered safe. What are you doing with a kid that's six, seven hours a day in front of that computer, getting all that electromagnetic frequency? And yet nothing was done. Right. They had this information and proof. Nothing was done. In the United States, there have been a couple of hearings. Nothing was done. So that's why I'm very concerned. The last concerned. congressional hearing was in 2009, and we helped to organize it with uh, Environmental Working Group that was at that time involved in this issue, although they fell 
away from it and now have come back to being engaged in it again. There has been almost no public consumption of this. And I think we start out with a basic fact that an accident. It is complex, but the complexity has been used as an excuse because most people assume incorrectly that if there were a problem, they'd know of the secondary insurance industry of Lloyd's of London and Swiss Re, which is a global multi-billion dollar industry, will not cover any health damages from wireless radiation to public health or the environment. They don't cover it. It's a completely self-insured business. It is one of the most profitable uh, businesses in the history of the world thus far. And they have, in fact, developed a very shrewd set of business policies to expand with no thought whatsoever about the long-term impact on health. Now, you ask about what are the different Gs. And frankly, to be quite frank, G is simply a marketing term. One, two, three, four, five G. These are all just different generations, the G stands for generations, of the technology. Now, the differences in how they worked, uh, you, you, as you move to the digital uh, world, is that the amount, the frequencies in which they operate uh, differ. And so uh, 3G was relying on 900 megahertz, which is 900 million cycles a second, uh, and up to 1.8 million cycles a second. 4G was uh, 900 million to 2.4 billion cycles a second. And 5G is going to be even more, up 5 billion to 100 billion cycles a second. That's the speed at which it's transmitted. So 5G is faster than 4G, 4G was faster than 3G, etc. So that speed is the main characteristic. However, along with speed is the distance that it can travel. So the 4G antennas were ideally located on high buildings and mountaintops away from human habitation. And, and those signals could move several miles. 5G signals do not travel well much more than a few blocks. And that is why in order for the 5G network to work, and it is not working in most major cities, it requires a whole system of antennas that are located often on light poles, which people can't see them and don't know they're there, at a distance apart from one another of about 100 yards. So we will need at least a million new 5G antennas. And that's where the in, in New York, there's a fair amount of fuss arising now from people who are saying, wait a minute, we don't want these ugly things right next to our bedroom windows. And the FCC has issued rules that says that there cannot be an objection to the siting of a 5G antenna that the city has 60 days. If it doesn't respond within 60 days to a proposed new siting, the new proposed tower is approved. And there are a lot of legal challenges to that that have been mounted, and some of them are have been successful. But let's take a minute before we get into the law and talk about what the health effects are that have been confirmed with wireless radiation. Peer-reviewed studies have shown that this radiation has an effect on memory, on sleep, on headaches, on brain growth and development, particularly in the young, on the ability to make healthy babies, and ultimately on cancer. And we've recently produced a major uh, assessment of this literature 
written with our colleagues who are the former director of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, Dr. Linda Birnbaum, and the current chair of OBGYN at Yale, Professor Hugh Taylor, as well as Tom Butler, Professor Emeritus at Cork, and others. And in that article, we have said that children today are conceived and living in a sea of radiofrequency radiation that did not exist when their parents were born or even a decade ago. The digital age is transforming our ability to communicate. There's no question about it. But it's also coming with a price that has not been adequately evaluated. And a growing number of researchers have concluded with us that these low-level exposures are not safe, and they put children particularly at risk from a number of effects on their developing endocrine systems, their reproductive systems, and their immune systems. Okay, I appreciate that introduction and overview. Thank you. Now let's go to the specifics. What kind of physiological, biochemical, electromagnetic impulsing into the body of all these waves, what can it do? Could it be the cause of a new form of environmental degradation that medicine does not have any knowledge of? And as a result, medical school curriculum does not consider this legitimate, so it's not teaching it. So a person arrives, and real, real story, an employee of mine, uh, a research researcher, tired, fatigued, lost appetite, can't sleep through the night, and uh, no energy. Yet an entire battery of tests showed nothing. No viruses, no bacteria, no parasites, but clearly a suboptimal functioning and uh, of her mitochondria, the energy factories of our cells. Also, when she had more detailed testing done, uh, they couldn't find any pathogen per se, and that's normally, as you know, as a physician, you look for a pathogen. You look for what could be causing some form of disruptance, imbalance, and disease process in the body. Couldn't find it. But then we realize we have not, we have not educated the American medical community, nurses and physicians and pharmacists, of this phenomenon, much like we didn't uh, believe that uh, chronic fatigue syndrome was real. We didn't believe restless leg syndrome was real because you couldn't see anything. And so tell us about what a person could be suffering from these impulses, these pulses going through the body and their children as well. Could it be connected to uh, impacting the hippocampus and as a result, a child's cognition? Absolutely. So go through now let, let me, what, could, what could be happening. Right. Let, let me start with, with, with an important clarification. Uh, wireless radiation can be measured with a number of different parameters. The power, for example, a microwave oven uses about 1,000 watts of power. A phone or your typical device might use less than one watt of power on average, although it's certified to go up, up to 1.6 watts uh, on any given uh, connection to the tower. And it has power, it has frequency, which is how fast it moves, and it has a waveform, and then it has whether or not the waves are pulsed. All of those are relevant in understanding the biological impact. Uh, in addition, they have polarity. So all of these parameters, you're absolutely right. None of them is taught regularly in medical school. 
there are two issues that I uh, raise concerns about in medical education today. One is the lack of a understanding of statistics because most doctors get two weeks of training in biostatistics, that's it. And yet all of the pharmaceutical industry studies rely on statistics and as we know very well, many of them are quite questionable. But the ability to challenge the pharmaceutical reports depends on an understanding of statistics, which not very many physicians have. The second thing, as you just pointed out, is that there is no regular training in what is called bioelectromagnetics. The understanding of the interactions between living material and the electrical fields that allow us to live. If you think about it, the difference between life and death is not chemical, it's electrical. You have the same chemicals in your body after you die as you had when you were alive. The difference is you have no electrical activity in the brain. That is the definition of death. Obviously your heart um, is electrical as well. So life itself depends on electrical impulses that keep us alive. Now what the effects of the digital exposure can be are a wide range of subtle effects at the cellular and subcellular levels. Let me give you a few examples. Reactive oxygen species are known to cause damage at the membrane uh, with inside the cell to the mitochondria of cells, which is the engine of the cells, as you know very well. These same things can cause DNA damage, not by directly breaking the bonds of the nucleotides that hold DNA together, but through other means that are now being elucidated by researchers, most of whom are outside of the United States. In addition, sperm, which depend on their mitochondrial, in, it basically in their tails, to succeed are exquisitely vulnerable to electromagnetic fields. And if you take two test tubes, which has been done repeatedly in peer-reviewed literature, filled with human sperm, and you expose one test tube to wireless radiation that you can get from a 3G or 4G phone, after one hour, of course, the sperm are going to be dying because they're not meant to live in a test tube. But the sperm that are exposed to cell phone radiation will die three times faster and have three times more damage to the mitochondria on the DNA of the sperm. So this is really clear and compelling evidence of the subtle effects that take place at the cellular level. And we also know that if you take a look at animals and study them with prenatal exposure through their lifetimes, studies have been done clearly showing that animals exposed, again, to the same types of radiation we can get from cell phones today, those animals will develop smaller hippocampus, smaller cerebellum, and more signs of damage within this essential part of the brain, which is involved in memory, in balance, in impulse control. And you think of that as a worldwide and social problem, and you look at the dreadful problems we are having today of violence in our cities and the bathing of exposure to these things, we know that this is a multiple caused problem of violence in the cities. But certainly one factor that has not been taken into account is the contribution 
of digital exposures, which, as you point out, now with the pandemic, it's there was so much more uh, wireless exposures than ever before. Fortunately, educators are are pointing out the that this form of so-called education, distance education for children in elementary school, for example, relying on screens is generally not achieving real um, competence for our children. And all over the world, all over the world, whether it's Sweden or France, Israel, India, there is a recognition that we have to go back to basics where children learn with one-on-one eye contact, hands-on experiences, and you cannot touch, feel, and smell a screen. And that kind of multisensory impact is critical to children's ability to truly learn. Again, we appreciate uh, that insight. One of the most important issues not being discussed anywhere is, is it too late to re-educate the public if that means that the public is going to now stop using these devices and the government must start to regulate them and the industry must become more honest in keeping the true nature of its scientific discoveries uh, opaque that it has been and now must be transparent. After all, we are a nation that prides ourselves in freedom of choice. But what good does it do to have the freedom to choose something if you're completely given biased information? You're going to make, I made the right choice. No, you only made one choice. And how do you know it wasn't propaganda disguised as a free choice? Tell us about the media and why it has refused to do a single article on this. You know, you're raising a very important question. And I would just say that we at Environmental Health Trust and our website at ehtrust.org are committed to informing more and more people about the opportunities and choices and options before them. Now, what I am pleased to tell you is that more and more people from inside this industry are coming to us and working with us now because we recognize something very fundamental. This is not a question of getting this technology to go away. It's here to stay. And it has been a positive force particularly in emergency responses and things of that sort. At the same time, however, we are with phones today where we were with cars in the 1960s, where Ralph Nader, who paid a great personal price for his campaigns, was able to prevail in showing that the way cars were designed was damaging to the overall health and well-being, particularly of our children, And we can design these devices to be more safe. And the reason I know this is because the newest member of our board of directors is a fellow named Frank Clegg, who is the former president of Microsoft North America and Canada. This guy who knows a lot about this industry has come to work with us and help provide leadership on our board of directors as we develop the next phase of work here. And what he has been able to show me and explain in great detail is that the industry holds patents on safer phone cases, on safer antenna design, and a recent group has formed called the International Commission on the Biological Effects of Electromagnetic Fields. And they, under the leadership of Ron Melnick, 
the former staff director for the National Toxicology Program, and Kent Chamberlain, Professor Emeritus and Chairman Emeritus of the Department of Electrical Engineering of the University of New Hampshire. They have issued a paper on exactly what needs to be done to make phones safer and to make networks safer. So it's not a question of yes or no, but making fundamental changes in the design of phones and the building out of networks. And we believe that that is what people have to demand. And so we start with the fact that in New York City, there are 2,000 jumbo 5G poles that are supposed to be deployed. And some of them are 32 foot high monstrosities that look like a giant thick Q-tip at the top with five tiers to hold these transmitting antennas, each one of which contains 68 different transmitters, each one of which can do beam forming up to 320 watts of power. Now that's a lot of technical information in once, but I wanna say that right now, some of these towers. Deborah, we're unfortunately, we're losing Deborah there. We had a breakup in our uh, satellite connection because with a group such as yours and the experts who are on your board and the new science that you're developing and holding those people accountable for patents that were safer, but they never chose to use, then the public can become aware and push back and ask their legislators. And I'm looking forward in this current time, I'm looking forward to getting uh, congressional hearings going where you can bring in all your experts, but something everyone can do. Go to GaryAndAll.com, look under articles, and look under 5G articles. And under 5G articles, you'll see the newest article, and it is extremely comprehensive. In fact, I've done a four-part series already right here on a radio show. It would take me about 10 parts to finish it. Download the article. It is fully footnoted with hundreds and hundreds of peer-review PubMed footnotes showing its legitimacy. Share that with people. Share it. Get it around. I'm so sorry. Please tell me where it stopped. And honey, could you give me another cup of hot water? Well, well, it it stopped a couple places. And I thank you. Uh, I thank you for participating and referred to you and your good work and how we're looking forward to getting congressional hearings now that some of the people in the Republican side will hold those hearings. So now we'll take all the best articles and uh, and get you and all of your experts to go before the Congress and testify. And that's what's needed. Well, Gary, I I'm, I'm really appreciate all that you're doing. And I have a specific question. I, first of all, I really have enjoyed interacting with Richard Gale, who uh, works with you on this. And I think you you, you guys are quite a, quite a powerful team, by the way. Um, I would love your help in getting a hearing uh, going. Um, and I think that the Republicans in, in Congress are quite interested, but really, if we could get, there's, there's bipartisan interest. I think uh, Kristen Cinema is, is interested and we need to get the, the people in the middle, in the Senate, who understand this to be engaged. So I don't know if you want me where I, where I fell off or if you want me to, um, say anything further. It's really your fault. Just um, what I'm going to suggest is that people in this audience go to your website, which I've given them, uh, and the ehttrust.org, 
and download the information and then download my article in Richards and uh, also uh, the, uh, the most important thing is that everything you are sharing, I'm sharing, uh, and all the rest, this is peer-reviewed literature. This is not subjective. This is not, yeah. uh, this yeah, is this not is nonsense new. science. This, this, yeah, this new piece that I, uh, that I mentioned, uh, which has uh, almost 300 footnotes, okay, and it just was published, like, um, uh, I think a few weeks ago, has specific steps for clinicians to take to protect the young from this and what needs to be done on the federal and state and local levels. But I, I, I don't know if you're aware, and this you guys can use this in your next piece, that the um, FCC chair has urged in writing a review of the proposed installation of the Link 5G towers throughout New York City's historic preservation districts. So historic preservation is a criteria. So that, of course, means that the poor people in uh, in areas of the city will have no say, but in areas where there's a, arguably a historic design, the large footprint of these towers, and you've, you've seen them, I'm sure, um, means that they need to be rethought. And that's, a, that's, you know, that's like a, I would say that's a temporary strategy we can take, but we've got to, we've got to really get to the core of having these things designed to be built more safely. But what I was, I don't know if you did with the recording was working when I talked about cars, because I think it's very important. And this is something I've said repeatedly, and I would welcome your sharing with this is that just as we had airbags and seatbelts for cars and they cut road deaths substantially, we need to make these devices safer. We need to understand that children should not be using them regularly and that they need to be advised by their parents about how to use them more safely, that the tablets belong on tables and not on laptops, on laps. That's why they call them tablets. They're meant for tables. Something, why don't you consider this, please, Deborah? Write up a one-page letter to members of Congress, to the Senate and the House, of why a hearing on this is needed. This is not political. This is bipartisan. We're talking about all life, animal life, environmental life, and human life are at risk over a period of time because the industry is going to keep making these more and more powerful. And then competition will try to exceed that. So if you can convince them in a letter and have a maybe with your contacts of scientists, physicians, etc., uh, a people who've signed on, like the Great Barrington Declaration that many of us signed as scientists and activists, and I uh, certainly was one of those. Uh, and we initially we had 75,000 signatures of just medical doctors and scientists. Now it's up to over a million. So why don't you start that and let's get some heavyweight signatories and this goes to every member of Congress, making it bipartisan in the public interest. Every single well, let me ask you this. I have a member of Congress. Uh, I'll tell you her name, um, who is uh, willing to sign no, no. a letter to the FCC, which I've already drafted. Frankly, don't don't the, share your don't and, share your resource because you don't okay. know who might be listening, who would then try to get in there with their lobbyists. You know how that game's played. I do and, indeed. I'm not going to tell you her name. All right. Good. However, do the do she's the not letter. alone. She's not alone. And the question is, do we have members of Congress write to the FCC? Um, 
or and at the same time, then do we get um, a high powered group, which I can do to to um, request a congressional hearing as none has been held on the safety of this and since 2009. And we have now two new generations of technology have come into play without any safety testing at all. If if you write the letter as to why this is an emergency, it affects all people. This is not political. It's not ideological. Do not no. take sides. We need hearings in the House. We need hearings in the Senate. And the hearing should be the first thing that is done. From the hearings, they will bring in the top people who have sponsored this and then ask them to show their science. And then you will be there to show your science. And that will put the people who are the pro 5G legislators in the pickle. They will not know what to do. And that's exactly what we want. So they're forced, like it or not, to agree, yeah, we better do something. Let's hold official hearings. Let's get all the experts. Now let's force the industry into complying and making things safer since they own the patents and they could. Well, let, that's the let me I, tell I you something. I, okay, I'm, I'm glad for this chance to chat with you. I will do that. And in addition, uh, we have some new information from an industry whistleblower. Um, whose job it has been to go around to rooftop antennas and measure the radiation being emitted by them. And as you may know, there are specific rules for rooftop antennas. Signs have to be posted warning people not to get within X distance. A notification has to be on all rooftop antennas, do not come closer than X distance, etc. Of the 200, and this is a number now, and I don't care if anybody hears this, of 200 rooftop antennas recently measured, eight out of 10 failed the current FCC standards, which are way too high because the current FCC standards are only set to avoid heating up your brain or body and do not take into account chronic effects on public health, on trees, birds, and bees. And I believe the effects on birds and bees are going to be much harder for this industry to combat. As you know very well, they can do a lot of uh, fancy hand-waving to raise questions about cancer, which is a topic I know a lot about, and they can succeed in confusing people. But with studies on basically dead bees and bees that don't return to their hives when they're exposed under controlled experimental conditions, uh, that's a lot harder to refute. And so are studies showing that trees over five years Literally, we have pictures where the trees are like trying to grow away from the tower. And those data were getting ready to launch on a new, uh, a new website on wildlife effects. So I think that that's yet another new angle that we need to, um, to publicize. I, I would agree. Again, thank you very much for all the good work. If you, you have specific, yes. If you have specific members of Congress or if there's anyone on your team that would like to work with us to 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 create this hearing, um, you know, you can broadcast from it live and do a whole thing. And I could bring in we have lots of experts that would be happy to talk to you, whether they're in person or Zoom does give us the advantage now of, of communicating like this, although I would much rather have been in your studio. I know it would be better. All right, so let's see. Uh, I would say that our executive director, Theodora Scarada, 
is very, very well informed about what's going on at the grassroots level. And if you're interested in sort of highlighting that at some point, talking about how, for example, specific community has won in its challenge and has got uh, a, a tower to be moved, that is happening. Um, it's not happening as much as we would like, but it is happening. And so I think it's important for people to know that when they get together and organize, that for as example, Community Board 8 uh, on Roosevelt Island passed a moratorium, and now 16 other community boards ha have done this. And, and you've got the uh, Rosen uh, Worsel, who's the FCC chair, has urged a review of all of the cell towers proposed through the historic district, that's a victory. That That's a victory. And I think we need to highlight those victories as well as the new studies showing damaging effects on bees, which nobody debates anymore the importance of pollinating insects. What, what, we, will, what we will do is immediately, uh, we're going to take our long technical article, which is almost 40 pages, and we will break it down into short lay language presentations with one just on children. Because if you want to get most Americans' attention beyond their political ideologies, talk about the children in ways that are honest and also could help protect those children, because everyone wants to protect their children. And then we have lots of resources. I was on PFW, WPFW Pacifica for 36 years every day uh, in Washington, D.C., made a lot of contacts. So yeah. we will do all of well, what is necessary on our side to get a hearing going. Once we have that, then I will give you the information. You can then select the people that you feel would be most important uh, to appear. and. Uh, and then we will ask the public to become involved. I'll do another piece on the media and its complicity in not being open and honest about telling the truth about this. They're only giving one yeah. side, especially the New York Times, which actually has an interest in 5G, and therefore it's a big sponsor. So yep. it's, 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 it's no different than if I, I cannot watch, I would not watch any of the talk shows, television or radio, because they're interviewing in a panel, uh, a group of people all hold the same ideological and political positions. And But what's not told is, if you're a doctor, if you're a general talking about why we must uh, do a preventative strike on Russia, it's being advocated now, are you paid? That's never asked. Are you on the board? Are you associated with uh, one of the big companies in the defense field? Always yeah. they are. And yet, because we don't know the full context from which a person's giving us their advice, we then are confused. And let's be realistic. If people have allowed themselves to become morbidly obese and obese and unhealthy, and their children, we have the most unhealthy children in the world per population. We have more obesity per population than Russia, uh, excuse me, China and India per population. And yet we have more well, doctors, we spend more on medicine, more hospitals, and we have worse outcomes for preventing any, anything. Then we have to ask, how much of our early childhood was propagandized and 
until we started to buy things, we shouldn't consume things that were not healthy for us. And then nobody talks about it. Did you ever notice Gary, nobody talks other, about the consequences? Let me add one, one other thing for your consideration about obesity. I worked, uh, and in fact, the team I led in 1993 coined the term xenoestrogens. You're familiar with it. Yes. What we now understand is that there are, among these xenoestrogens, which act like endogenous hormones when we eat or breathe them, there are obesogens, which if critical times of exposure have a huge effect, and studies were done taking BPA, you're familiar with that plasticizer, injecting it into pregnant animals and showing that the offspring tended to be obese. And one study took newborn mice and injected half of them with BPA and half of them were normal. And the, the adult weight of the mature animals was two to four times heavier than the adult weight of the control animals. This is an extraordinary demonstration of the capacity of these chemicals to alter the endocrine system, which in turn leads to an alteration of the metabolism of fat and the accumulation of literally of fat in these rodents that just because they had prenatal or early life exposure to BPA. So I do believe that one of the factors for obesity is the chemical exposure that these are getting. So it's both the, in toxicologically, we are priming these adipocytes so that when the body matures, you see beautiful young women with belly fat that makes them look like they're pregnant. And often it's really disproportionately distributed. And that is exactly where these adipocytes would be expected to form. And that is in, as we know, all of the flame retardants and the plasticizers and a whole host of things, part of the chemical revolution that some of which are now called forever chemicals have also been uh, involved in this. And we can't deny that they that plays a role as well as the other factors that you have mentioned, the inactivity, the addiction to screens, uh, which is an addiction uh, for which dopamine is involved. So you and I could talk for a long time about all of these issues. And I just want to tell you, I'm grateful that you're still out there pounding these these important points. I really am. And let's stay in touch about what we might do. I think I'd like to say, uh, and I presume you would agree with this, we need to work in some coordination, but re really separately. Because just like uh, Bobby Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy and I agree about probably 60% of the things. I do not agree with him about his some of his COVID comments, but some of them are correct. But I can't afford to be associated with Bobby Kennedy because I am a small group and I can't afford to be deplatformed as they have done to him. And I think you've been also subjected to a lot of, you know, stresses and strains as a result of your being out there. And so I'd like to say that we, we should work in coordination kind of between you and me, but not like we're united at the hip. Because I think that could be a problem for each of us, frankly. Would you agree? I have a different approach. Okay. I've been, I've been in the field. I've been fighting for the truth in health issues since 1967. 
And as a result, if you go back and see that there was just a small group of us fighting to ban DDT. I mean, there would be times where there'd be three of us at a, uh, at a factory manufacturing it, and we would be hated by the people going in because they didn't understand. But mm -hmm. because of us sticking to it, we got it banned in 1972. But then there were a hundred other things that we helped expose, like Agent Orange, 255, 24D, uh, dioxin. Yeah. And yeah. we went We've on We've been on parallel these. paths. I, I hear you. So, so what's so your thinking about you, yeah. you can't, let me just finish, please. But at the same time, I understand that anyone, I mean anyone, including Nobel Prize winners, I'll give you a few of the people who are my personal friends, Nobel Prize, Linus Pauling. We would sit in my laboratory where I was a senior research fellow at the Institute of Plant Biology, and he would talk about how confused he was by the fact that here he had all these citations, two unshared Nobel Prizes, and yet they were talking about him as if he was a quack. Why? He simply wanted to advocate more vitamin C. I mean, that was it, vitamin C, and uh, him and Dr. J uh, Cameron. And so I said, understand, no matter how respected you are in this moment, if you say anything that those in power disagree with, they will attack you. First, they'll warn you, then they'll threaten you, then they'll destroy you. And that's what they've tried to do. Do you think that Robert Kennedy would be around today if he wasn't named Kennedy and if his family didn't have the background and legacy and the financing? He'd be gone. And yet, no. uh, that doesn't mean that Robert and I agreed on a lot of uh, stuff, but we do agree on some things. And also, uh, Dr. Curry Mullis, he was a friend. He got the Nobel Prize for discovering the PCR. In fact, I have an hour and 54-minute filmed interview of him I did in 1993 where he wanted to debate Fauci. Fauci wouldn't debate him. And he uh, talked about yes. what not to do with PCR. Well, we did exactly what he said we shouldn't do. We did. He was right. They were wrong. So I simply ask this. At no time in my career have I been given the credit or anyone else I know in the field, including you mentioned Ralph Nader, who I voted for, for overcoming the propaganda to see the truth. There are thousands of us in your field. You do this in my field of public health. I do the same. And it doesn't mean that we have to share the same uh, beliefs and ideology. To the contrary, I feel that we're much stronger by doing our own independent and critical thinking. And then when we okay. have something, then you share it with others because that's where you bring people together. And right. that's completely different because in general science today is consensus-based. Well, you're a scientist, I'm a scientist. Since when is consensus science a good thing? It is not. Since when are we told we shouldn't debate? What do you mean we shouldn't debate? Who yeah. says we shouldn't debate? What right do they have to say we shouldn't debate? They're in power. So now we don't yeah. have open, honest debates. And that's why nobody will debate Robert Kennedy. If they did, they would find he's a formidable opponent. But all the people who have done something throughout their careers over many years are now being deplatformed and destroyed because they're on the wrong side of an issue. Finally, look at these people, Matt Taibbi, Schellenberg, um, Chris Hedges, Abby Martin, uh, Max Blumenthal, Aaron Maté, uh, Glenn Greenwald, um, and and at least 20 others, all good quality Democrats and liberals until they told the truth. Now they're deplatformed, attacked, ridiculed, and don't appear on any shows anymore. 
So we're not looking for the truth in America. We're looking to maintain power. And unfortunately, those of us who are looking for the truth are going to be up against that power. So I appreciate well, I wanna, how you've I, I handled wanna. yourself, and we're going to do the same. Dr. Davis, I'm going to do everything I can to write lay articles now that people have seen the science article, which they can get by going to GaryNull.com, then go to articles, then go under COVID, uh, they can go under 5G articles, and they'll see all the proof, scientific proof from peer-reviewed PubMed literature. We're going to do lay articles as well. And I want everyone in this audience to send this information to their legislators so we can ask for a bipartisan hearing so that Dr. Davis, all of those experts she's associated with, can come forward and testify. Thank you all very much for taking your time today to watch and listen to our program. Have a nice day, everyone. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you die.